0: Welcome to Smart in the City, the Bible podcast where we bring together top actors in the smart city arena, sparking dialogues and interactions around the stakeholders and themes most prevalent for today's citizens and tomorrow's generations. I am your host, Hamlin Shimizu, and I hope that you will enjoy this episode and gain knowledge and connections to drive the change for a better urban life. Smart in the City is brought to you by Bobble Smart Cities. We enable processes from research and strategy development to co-creation and implementation. To learn more about us, please visit the Babel platform at babel-smartcities.eu. So, uh, yes, today I'm sitting in one of my favorite cities actually in the world, Amsterdam, and I'm going to let you all in on a conversation that I'm about to have with the chief digital officer at the city of Rotterdam, um, talking about all things digital and his wealth of knowledge and experience from past 20 years uh, or so, maybe longer, I don't know, we'll, we'll hear all about it. So, yeah. Um, Yes, yeah, so please give a warm welcome to Baz Borsma. Um, as I said, he's the CDO of Rotterdam. Um, he's also an urban innovator, a professor of practice at Thunderbird School of Global Management, and staying busy, obviously. He's also the author of A New Digital Deal. Uh, I'm sure you are all interested, as I am now, to dig into his thoughts. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the show, Baz.
1: Thank you so much, Tamlin. It's tremendous to be part of this.
0: I'm really excited for the conversation. We were just chatting before this and I, we can relate on so many different levels and I'm dying to, to get to know more. So without further ado, um, we're going to dive into some uh, challenges in this episode. I'm sure talking a little bit more nitty gritty, um, but I would like to start us off on a, a positive note. Um, so one of the podcast segments that we do here, is one called inspire us very uh very lovely so um we ask our guests for a story a quote or anything that has inspired you recently to keep going and keep motivated do you have something in mind
1: oh boy you didn't even give me a chance to think about that (laughs) there are many that, that come to mind first of all i think that One quote that I like to share with people I work with, colleagues, my students, is that if you're living in times of radical change, if you're living a design shift, learn to be comfortable at being uncomfortable.
0: That's really good. It
1: is a wisdom that really should actually hang over your bed because... If you are living a system shift, and I think we are, I think we do, I think we are living in times of a system shift, then you've got to accept that nothing in the future is going to look like what it was in the past. You're going to be uncomfortable and you've got to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable.
0: That's good. I want to talk uh, in this episode then about some times that you were uncomfortable, maybe because um, I feel like you're a person that's comfortable with everything. I don't know. You're just such a natural-born like talker. You're very charismatic with everything. So what makes you com- uncomfortable now?
1: What, n- well, right now, been- right now, nothing <laughs> at all, except for the concern that someone might walk into this room and say, I've reserved this room stuff like that. <laughs> and that would upset our recording. That's the only thing that would actually have me uncomfortable right now. No, I, I can be very uncomfortable, but these are things that can typically be... Uh, Mitigated or you can predict them and you can see them happening and the more you can see that, the more you can actually be comfortable at being uncomfortable
0: yeah yeah that's that's really good advice I think i'm um, actually starting this podcast I think was a bit uncomfortable for me at the beginning and now i've gotten so comfortable with it it really doesn't take that long to be, start being comfortable with things that you are anxious about or uncomfortable so you just got to get over the first little hurdle i think and then move forward
1: so (laughs) and it's always like that i think that's the source of energy it's uh it's like if you're going to keynote somewhere you're like that one minute before you hit the stage there is this sense of nerve but you got to actually embrace it it's got to become your friend and then you're in the zone and once you're in the zone you've got that anxiety under control and it feeds you it becomes positive and that's that's actually a nice thing
0: and you still get that with oh, all yeah. your keynotes you still oh, get yeah. the little okay oh, yeah. that's good. healthy that I, doesn't go I, I away i need it i need, I still it. Get I need that. that energy <laughs> okay good to know good to know so I, I i want to give um also the listeners and i also want to know um your story your background who are you where did you come from and what drives you
1: well, that's that's a tall question because I'm not that young anymore. I'm 53 <laughs> years old. I was born in the Netherlands. I currently reside in the Netherlands. Um, uh, I started out my, my adult life uh, going to university and taking the longest road to unemployment. And I, I actually studied Asian history. <laughs> and, and all my prof- professors said, are you absolutely confident you want to do this? Because the chances of you actually landing on the job are going to be slim. Uh, but but interestingly, I have obviously never, never, never been quiet. I never was without work in any point of my working life. Uh, I happened to have lived in Cambodia for three and a half years when the civil war was still raging there. And wow. I was part of the United Nations mission. And living there amidst violence, efforts to maintain peacekeeping efforts that has completely reframed who I was as a person it actually continued it provided me with the framework of values and ideas that took me further in life it's got nothing to do with digital nothing to do with cities but it's a very important part of my life and um, since then since returning from Cambodia in the mid 90s I was on to several jobs always with Asia and in, in, in the in the back of my mind uh, working with various governments in Southeast Asia uh, and then 11 happened and that changed my life quite a bit because all of my customers or most of them just flipped. They said, you know, we've got a major crisis. No one was traveling. 9-11 was followed by SARS, the lung disease, like um, COVID-1, so to speak. (laughs) And, And that, again, cost me customers. And I ended up working in a digital space ever since that was 2001. It's 21 years later and it's always been urban innovation, digitalization and the incredible design shift. That we're living, and that is the professional part. That's the professional story of my life.
0: I Love that story. I also relate to you a little bit because before I started with smart cities, I don't have um, as much experience now the twenty years um, <laughs> that you have now in the digital space. But before that, I was actually also working in um, in Asia, in Central Asia, in Kyrgyzstan. So, oh, wow. Um, in, in a different topic, in women's education. Very. So, good. and in very rural areas, not in cities. So, um, I flipped the switch a little bit, but I, I still carry those lessons with me. So, I, I also relate with you. On that. Amazing. So, That's amazing. Yeah. That's an
1: amazing story. Thank you for sharing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, so I, I would love to ask you, so, um, when, when I first met you in Copenhagen, you talked. you said, yeah, I love doing podcasts. Let's do it. Um, and I love the enthusiasm. And you told me about a podcast that you did, um, where you outlined 10 lessons And that was like your favorite podcast to date. Um, Hopefully now this one, you know, will be the favorite, but I'll share it, I'll share the title also. Um, But since then, I'm wondering, so that was about a year ago, I think, that you did that.
1: It's about one and a half years ago.
0: And um, so in the last one and a half years, Could you tell us a number eleven lesson that you think you've learned in the last in the last little bit, like a recent one?
1: Well, what has been very important is that I haven't been a a CDO to the city of Rotterdam for that long, and so that one and a half years has, by and large, corresponded with that same time. And what I have learned is, first of all, that. You know, so many people that do not work for public sector, they take kind of a dim view as to what people in public sector do. And there's a kind of idea that people in public sector somehow work less hard than in private sector. And what I've really discovered how that's not the case. I've actually come to admire the persistence, the resilience, the hard work that so many people put in in, 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 in public sector. Public sector is simply also a very, very challenging environment, or it can be, where it's sometimes very difficult. Difficult to deliver on the things where you as a person or as a team want to deliver on perhaps more so than in private sector sometimes the output is just difficult to arrive at but i've come to be you know really really impressed with what i've seen in in, in public sector uh, at the same time uh, i got reinforced in some of my beliefs that public sector is partially broken and that we actually need to rethink how we actually implement those urban innovations, what process to that looks like, and how we can best work with local and regional and potentially national public sector entities to get the job done, because we have an enormous job ahead of us.
0: That's definitely true. Um, what, What are the main things that you think needs to change then with government? What's broken and how do we fix it?
1: Well I think that the entire governance and the way things are organized are are, are simply um, not up to the job if, if going back to parliamentary democracy itself having an open indirect representation model you know that has like a two 200 250 year type of background and it and it was born in, an, in it in a time. When people, you know, shied away from long distances. You know, if you'd live in, in, in Maryland and you'd have to go to Washington, DC, or you know, then or Virginia and Washington, DC, or 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 you'd live in Twente in the Netherlands, you'd have to come out to The Hague. You know, those distances were very, very real. They were very substantial. And therefore, indirect representation was obviously fantastic. That was the best way to actually run a democracy. I don't think that's that that that's the case anymore. Also. I think that people are well informed, they got all of these sources of information and people don't want to be bullied into some type of a corner anymore. People are out there with their opinion, you've got to heed that opinion. So you need different tools to work with all of these changes And and, 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 and government in general has been very, very slow to adapt to those new circumstances for sure. Uh, another thing I think is that if you look at the major transitions that our communities are facing across the globe, you know, from Nepal to Peru, then, you know, uh, let's say circular economy, digitalization, uh, energy transition, climate change in general. If you think of all of these major transitions, then there is hardly ever a department that is super just Completely mandated to run either one of them, let alone connect them. You've got economic affairs. You've got uh, citizen services. These are the typical type of silos within which it's been organized, which means that even if you got groups of people that have their own quiet pockets to work on these innovations, that they may or may not be taken fully serious and they're sitting in, you know, their little part of a silo somewhere half mandated. And that's something that can simply no longer be the case. It's two to 12. When it comes to climate change, we are facing a mass extinction level event, what's the right term? I always forget how it's exactly called, but we're really on the edge. We have no time. We have no time to lose. And we got to get ourselves organized to be much more on the game, to actually deliver on the solutions that we need, which means we need a much more of a moonshot scenario in terms of how we actually drive innovation forward, how we orchestrate the governance around that, how we match public and private sector and investors and academia, not just in the typical uh, quadruple helix models, as we like to propose it to, let's say, the European Commission, because that (laughs) becomes a politically correct thing. No, Mm -hmm. now serious. How do we reorganize that? How do we get our act together? Because local government is not up to the job and then finally, Final point, I find that still most people working in so many government entities are somewhat on the senior side. They're not old. I'm not going to put on that label <laughs> on them. But there's a lot of people that have been in that role forever. And what I think is what I see from my own students, I admire them. I admire my students because they are somehow, somewhere more up to the job. They just look at complexity. They look at interdisciplinary challenges and issues in a fresh way, much more dynamic. Their ability to collaborate, you know, they, they have they have grown up in an uh centric era they they think differently they design differently they collaborate differently so there is no more there's no more time for a general traditional generational handover of power we need people both young and old in that boardroom and not to kind of have the quintessential workshop let us tell you what we do no we need them at you know the decision making points we need intergenerational teams that are going to solve these challenges together. Government is nowhere close to getting organized in that way. And we need it and we need it now.
0: That's uh, yeah, you you touched on so many points there that I resonate so much with, honestly, that um, this urgency that we have. Um, Do you write about some of these topics
1: in your book? I do. I do. The the, the one thing is is my book is about digital, first of all, it's it it talks about a new digital deal where I think that's the whole idea that we need to do so much more in order to make digitalization work for us in the way that we want it and that it's best for humanity, that just following, you know, the next levels of technological changes is not good enough. I always say, you know, you can choose, you can be in that wild river, in a canoe, and you can either decide to be in that canoe with a pedal or without a pedal. Without a pedal, you're going to crush into something at one point, and then it's going to be bad. Or you're going to say, well, I'm going to navigate this, and for that, we need a plan. However, there is another component to the book, and um, which really brings together the other transition journeys. Digitalization is not just about digitizing a few more things, bringing in some more technology, it's about a design shift, it's about doing things more distributed and moving away from the old centralized way of organizing things, which is something, quite frankly, that we inherited from the previous industrial revolutions. We must embrace these new designs, distributed designs, in order to organize ourselves better, design better, but also to think of how we actually tackle uh, um, uh, energy management better, for instance. And those designs, which have really been afforded to us by uh, digital, are going to be critical if humanity is is to survive.
0: Yeah, um, you also interview i think 22 different leaders within your book right um what were the commonalities that really like spoke to you was it these topics that you're talking about now or is there something else that you want to highlight that you were like wow everyone all of these leaders are saying the same thing they're all leading us in the same direction or were they all like different points. What was your experience with that?
1: Well, there were certainly a number of commonalities. The, the the One of the most important things, I think, is that everyone felt that there is a need to actually arrive at a new digital deal. That actually this is not, you know, if we want to harvest the best that digitalization affords, then we've got to actually come up with a plan. You, you Just leaving it just, you know, by itself is, is not going to get us there. And with that comes a sense of urgency and responsibility and accountability. Mm -hmm. And I remember one particular person stating it most eloquently, uh, but it, it kind of resonated with the others. And it kind of lined up with what a lot of other people were saying, what a lot of other leaders were saying, is that this person was saying, there's a lot of people that feel we're moving too fast with all of this technological change. And I think, he said, I think we're not moving fast enough. We've got to make a much larger effort to educate, to have everyone on board. We've got to actually embrace those design shifts much faster if we want to get where we need to be. Uh, We've got to move much faster if we're not going to arrive at the next series of what is going to be much more complex digital divides, because those digital divides are going to hurt. They hurt today. If you don't address them, they're going to hurt more tomorrow and they become more complex. So... I, 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 completely, I completely second that. I, that, that is a, a great point of view. That point of view I heard echoed in various other interviews, people that I did interview for the book Indeed, and, and, and it's, a, it's a great call out.
0: Yeah. And, and how are you, so you have all these um, great ideas and theories and all of this great input from these leaders. How are you using that now in your role at Rotterdam?
1: Well, I, in several ways. So it's great to have to be rich in vision. Um, 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 but you obviously need to follow up on that in terms of actual practical stuff. Uh, you know, if you have a vision without uh, actual practical implementation, then yeah, you're living a exactly. daydream. I'd also say in people that that would argue that, you know, we can be a little bit too much on the philosophical visionary side. If you have action without that type of vision vision and philosophy, you're having a nightmare. So, you know, we need to be somewhere between the daydream and the nightmare and implement (laughs) and make sure that the balance is out there. I I, I think one of the things that is important is to continue to educate people around you and to have people understand that, that the transition that we're experiencing and that we're having right now, what I call digitalization, is not the same as digitization digitization is going from analog to, uh, to digital. And we've been doing that for like the past 40 years, like say a library archive, mm-hmm. having more computers on people's desks. A lot of people still think that digital is all about that. I'm saying, no, digitalization is about the design shift. And this, these are some of the examples how this is gonna affect you. And then there is projects. I mean, if I look at my own work in Rotterdam over the past, uh, the past, uh, the past one and a half years, it's all been about education. It's how do we actually bridge those digital divide? Uh, Plural, digital divides. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do we bridge those? Uh, How can we bring in, not how can we stop trying to do this just by ourselves, but leverage partnerships much better in order to get us where we need to be and uh, we just recently announced such a partnership with some very large uh corporates one very big tech company that are sitting on great curriculum great content making that available for fifteen thousand workers in the port area of rotterdam you know that's that's fantastic partnership that's the way to go but obviously we got great schools in rotterdam and that, that that collaborate in all of this so how do we push this how do we address the 50 the 55 plus year old group of society how do we bring uh, upskilling to them? Um, what does that mean uh, how what does it mean to actually rethink our 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 thoughts around digital rights because we need to have those in place Obviously there are great international charters I however do not believe there is one size fits all so what does a digital rights charter look like? That has been made for, by, and on, and, and for the benefit of the city of Rotterdam, mm. and 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 so all of these things have been on our desk, have been worked on. We are actually producing. There are great results to them. Uh, other so other things that have been um, elementary is what does digital inclusion look like for tomorrow? What's happening today, and what should we be focusing on tomorrow in order to ensure we're not just solving today's problem without thinking what tomorrow's problem is going to be and to find that that problem is going to be much larger. So the entire set of teams that we've been working on in the city of Rotterdam have been focused on topics like these with actual concrete output.
0: Wow, big questions that you're asking and hopefully getting some answers, but it it seems so... um there just seems so such big questions. Like, where do you start? You know, How do you figure out where to start on some of these big questions? Because you can ask these massive questions and um, it's hard sometimes to bring it to the ground, right? And say, okay, this is, this is the roadmap of where we need to go to get to some answers to those questions. W- what, how do you frame that? How do you work that out when you're doing these processes?
1: Well, first of all, you've got to allow yourself to fail up to a significant point, which is difficult in public sector. In public sector, there is generally no license to fail, yeah. And you've got to simply build that license to fail for yourself, and actually, you know, come up with a warning to people around you know this may blow up in your faces. Just you be aware. Politicians don't like that. No, well, politicians <laughs> don't like that. But then, mind you, those that need to actually respond on Wall Street on quarterly numbers don't like things blowing up in their faces either. Yeah. So big tech can be very, very wary of innovations that they don't fully control. So, you know, on all sides we see this issue. But you you can actually create this this the, you know your own license to fail up to a point. So that's one. The second thing is is to do proper design thinking in whatever you do. And this has been kind of a a, a fancy thing to say as of recent. You know, everyone is talking about design thinking. It's not the magic bullet, but it is a critical ingredient in terms of designing your policies, uh, solutions, uh, business architectures, technology architectures, understanding what does purpose look like? What is it you're actually trying to do? Check your own assumptions. Don't fear to go back to the drawing board, not just once, not just twice, but perhaps 10 times. Bring in um, your potential future enemies. You know, keep your, to quote the godfather, keep your friends close but keep your enemies closer, because whether it's cybersecurity or those nasty ambassadors of data ethics and so many others it could potentially be your enemy, bring them in early into your design stages of what you do, because they will actually collaborate with you. They will enjoy being part of the process. And once you get that going as a collaborative exercise, boy, you're so much better set up for success. Mm -hmm. And then obviously there's always the question of the financials, the budget. But here is my my conviction. Obviously, there are things which are typically directly into the realm of public sector and you need to create budget. However, there are so many things where, you know, as a city and as a municipality, you're going to somehow potentially co-invest in what's being created. But Be mindful that so many other first users, uh, anchor tenants of whatever you're going to create may actually be other entities than yourself, which means that as a municipality, not necessarily do you have to be the buying center. Perhaps you could be a modest buying center or a first tenant to whatever is being created, but just make sure that you're mindful of the other roles that you could actually embrace as local government. That could involve that could be you are you are the neutral orchestrator or the you know the traditional regulator role, but also as a co-investor. And I'm personally, Tamlin, I'm a huge fan of of uh, Mariana Masukato's uh, uh, mission economy thinking because government has taken up that role as an investor, as a risk taker in the past. And Mariana Masukato in her book, you know, often looks at the Apollo program going to the moon, where government obviously took up a risk in making all of that happen because the market didn't exist. The same with the internet, go back to ARPANET, that was government funded. Even uh, even uh, 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 um, uh, mRNA vaccines, I mean, that that is really, that, that that came out of DARPA type of investments, government funded. So. Government can rethink, rediscover what its role can be as an investor, but also as a collaborator of a larger ecosystem where these things happen. And the element of mastery is for anyone that sits in that CDO role to figure out how you bring that together.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really powerful. And I've actually never heard the government as an investor been said before. And And I was just thinking when you said that, I was like... Why have I never heard that before? Because the government has this has this power to to do that, but I've never heard it before. So thank you for that. Um, I actually was going to ask you too, cause I saw your article um, that was talking about the friends close, but you're, well, you're actually in the article, I think you said keep your presumed friends close, um, but keep your presumed enemies closer. Um, well, can you touch on that? Like why presumed?
1: Because um, there are so many people that will just start out some innovation initiative with a, with a lot of assumptions. Mm. And those assumptions can touch on so many things. And um, a lot of those assumptions may end up being wrong. Any people that's been in the startup business knows this. They know that you know they've got a great dream and they're sitting on a bunch of unchecked assumptions and that's all you've got. So if that's your starting point, then also as a government official or as a CDO or as an innovation leader in the urban innovation space, you're going to have to check. What are your assumptions? Well, these this is my circle of my friends. This is a circle of my enemies. Well, check. Because those people that will claim that they're going to be your friend, that they're going to be the big investor, that they're going to you know have you believe that their PowerPoint and what they will deliver for your city are going to be true. Mm. Check. Again, some of the best and biggest tech companies can be so drunk on their own Kool-Aid that they actually don't know that they cannot deliver on their PowerPoint. Whereas at the same time, you may find that those that you consider your presumed enemies are actually those that could potentially help you in particular phases of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Go through that process with the highest degree of honesty that you can possibly bring to the table.
0: Yeah, good advice. Um, I also wanted to touch back on your point about um, the license to fail, because I, I I also want to tell you I was in Helsinki um, in in the spring, and I was talking with a lot. The team there is doing amazing things, so shout out to them. Um, and they were telling me that they have um, they have an award ceremony for the biggest fail, in um, and, and so they actually have created this culture and this license to fail. Um, do you guys also have a an award for the <laughs> for the biggest fail in Rotterdam or anything we, like we,
1: that? We, we don't, we don't Tamlin. But you can uh,
0: bring it to them. <laughs> but, but, but
1: here's a dream that I've been having. I mean, having been in this space for 20 years, I'm a little bit fed up with all of the smart city conferences. There's just too much of it. And 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 I've been organizing a number of those throughout mm-hmm. all of those years myself also.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I've promised myself that there is one thing that I would love to organize. You know, perhaps you're familiar with the format of the fuck-up nights. Sorry for my French, Urban I didn't think of that word. Right, so, <laughs> so I, I would love to have a fuck-up nights on smart city solutions and where people just come to stage with you know radical honesty and have everyone laugh and join into the fun in terms of how they feel. To yeah. me, that would be just marvelous. I would love to organize one of those.
0: Let's do it. I will help you.
1: All right, cool, deal. <laughs>
0: Let's do it together. Yeah, Urban Future Conference has has that night, you know, um, and, and they're going to be in Stuttgart uh, next year as well. So uh, in our I home hometown, cool. so you'll have to come. Very cool. Maybe you can also. Uh, well, we're we're collaborating with them, so uh, maybe we can make that happen there. Actually, so wow,
1: that's um,
0: cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah, lots of amazing things. I, and you're obviously very, very knowledgeable about all these digital solutions and that's in your role at Productum. But I'm also wondering, so um, w- was there a time when you saw digital solutions being used, but um, analog was really the way to go? Like, what, have you seen digital solutions been used really poorly, basically?
1: Oh, yes. All of the time. <laughs> the, all of the time. I mean, there's, there's so many... Um, for instance, when 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 the Internet of Things angle to smart cities really got serious, you know that we go back, we need you need to go back like about ten years, roughly uh, 2012, 2013. This is when people started to debate this in earnest. And at the time, I was working at Cisco, and we worked on the Barcelona engagement, and we had all of these things like smart bus stops and smart waste solutions. And I remember talking to. The, the then Mayor of Barcelona, the Deputy Mayor. and like several years later, when I got to write my book, the uh, the man who then used to be the Deputy Mayor when we launched that collaboration in Cisco at Cisco with Cisco in Barcelona, um said, "Look, you ha- we had that smart way solutions and 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 it never really worked because, I actually sat down with one of those drivers. We did the tour of picking up the waste. They were sitting with those iPads and it was just impractical, it didn't work. And to actually have a sensor on every waste bin was never necessary because by having a fair sample of waste bins with a sensor, you would get enough data to actually mm-hmm. build smart algorithms based on the historic data. you would already have a great pickup round. So it's just one of those little examples of where you see it being used poorly. Another thing is uh, another that comes out of that classic smart city portfolio of solution is smart parking. And as I also wrote many times is uh, smart parking in the way it's being offered to us right now, you know, where you go in and there's a place where you discover in, in a downtown area and you lock it and you go there. That is a fantastic 21st century solution for a 20th century problem. Because if you think of it down the road, parking in the way we do is simply not going to happen in the ways we do it and not in the quantity that we do it. Think of a fully automated car, driverless. And it's going to be publicly owned or you don't need to be the owner, but whatever. You have arrived at your destination and you say, go. (laughs) You can go to the outskirts of town. There is no more need for you and parking is for free. There's like a huge facility where all of those cars can go. That means that all of those inner city areas and those very ugly parking lots and parking garages can be used for very green. Type of angles. It can be used for local businesses. They it's it's a rethink in terms of urban urban planning and, and, and spatial planning, just by thinking of parking in that direction. And what I'm saying is to is an answer to your question is not is that just an evolved way of parking vehicles a slightly more smart, but this is where you really allowed your organization and your planning to be infused by the design think shift. The, the design shift that's happening as a consequence of digital, which is those cars don't all need to be at a centralized place. They can actually be distributed and go away. We're in the middle of that revolution because people are still trying to kind of get used to this massive design shift. And, and a lot of people are not just, clearly not aware of this design shift happening. But because of that not being sufficiently happening, people are thinking upgrade solutions But those great solutions are being used in a very old school way. And that's really probably not the way to to, to help our cities best.
0: Really great examples. I I love asking that question because there's a lot of people on... I talk to a lot of people that are smart city like fanatics, right? And then I also talk to people that are quite critical of smart cities as well. I, I of course, fall somewhere in between, I hope, um, in that I want to show what digital solutions and what technologies can do and innovation, um, but also show the ways that it can go wrong so that people are aware and educated about and takes a very practical approach. To, to implementing technologies in cities. So um, I, I also really want to touch again on your point about um, you're tired of the smart city conferences. Um, and I actually have this in my notes that I want to ask you about this, um, that I feel like we both go to a lot of events and conferences and things like that. And one thing that I've noticed again and again is talking about the same topics over and over again Um and I'm just wondering, from your perspective, is it just talk to you now? Like, How do we move um, from, how, how do we move, how do we put pen to paper and actions into, uh, and actions to words? Like how do we really go from these conversations to implementations faster, actually making these solutions happen?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of reframing that needs to be done. One of the points is that I actually really don't like the term smart city. Mm-hmm. And I've mentioned that a yeah. lot of time for those people that know me and, or that have read my stuff. You know, I don't like the term because smart, what is smart exactly? And <laughs> cities, well, cities are cool, but not necessarily do we always want to focus on cities. You know, that also would be creating a new digital divide, you know, by leaving out countryside. So that's one thing. We need to, need to shift the framing of it a little bit. The second thing is that a lot of things that become not so smart because they become normal don't receive the same hype. So things that were pitched 10 years ago and that were really novel at the time simply become regular, regular applications and solutions that become mainstream. No one is, you know, having like uh, drinking any Kool-Aid on that topic anymore. (laughs) If you think of like, say, uh, multiple smart energy solutions for buildings, 10 years ago, they were hot. Now they're just mainstream. We're not going to see them at, at, at the World Expo in Barcelona because... They're mainstream. So in that sense, all of these smart city debates are always sitting on the innovative edge and they're sitting, you know, they're, they're, they're hopefully they can be addressing the next thing. But people are always waiting for smart cities to happen. And you should actually go back and say, what is it that we were proposing 10, 15 years ago? And then to then find out that actually many of those things did mature. It just didn't happen in two years. It took like 15 years. Yeah. And, and And a lot of things come down not to solutions becoming better solutions, but a change of culture and yeah. i think it, i think it was peter drucker who said you know culture has strategy for breakfast and mm. culture changes per a generation it doesn't change per a quarter yeah. so you know that that is simply a fact and it takes time to, to 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 get it to that point last i think and that's another point of where we need to reframe we need to get out of the solutions mindset um mm. uh I don't do this frequently, but I will for this time, quote, former president Richard Nixon, who once <laughs> said, you know, solutions are not necessarily the answer. And, <laughs> and, 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 and that's, it really applies to this space. Um, you've got to actually look at the problem, not the solution. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and for startups, people that want to build a business in the urban innovation space, do not try to think of a solution.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not in month one. Not a month too, two of your startup, not even in the six, first six months of what you're trying to do. Just study the problem. The Another quote, yeah. Einstein, who said, if I need to come up and solve something, I'm going to study the problem. And I've got one hour to do it. I will use 55 minutes to study the problem and then five minutes to actually build the solution. Why don't we actually take that as a starting point for our mindsets in the urban innovation space? Mm-hmm. That's the thing to do. And it also goes back to the smart city space being a deeply undemocratic type of industry. Who has checked with citizens in the first place? Whether they like it? Does this actually talk to their needs? Mm -hmm. No, we don't need another group of of, of founders of a startup that have fallen in love with their own technology. No, we need to actually study the problems, the problems in the neighborhoods, the the, the climate change-related challenges, and then solve them. We Mm -hmm. can. We've got the minds. We've got the... The, 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 the brilliance of so many old and young folks, we've got the money, we've got the methodologies, we can get there, we can solve our gravest problems, but we need to have a shift in terms of how we approach that. And the current way it's being approached in the smart city space is not very effective.
0: Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And um, we have this debate internally as well, also with Babel, smart cities. We cannot come up with a uh, with a with a better term right now. Uh, we have this debate all the time because a lot of us also don't like this term. But it's just the most generally accepted term is the problem. So <laughs> we will talk more about that soon. Um, I just want to give you the floor now. Um, You've talked about really great topics, um, but you're so passionate about many different topics. And I I always like to give the floor to people like you. Um, Actually, most of my interviewees are very passionate about topics. So um, is there anything else that you really want to say today that you haven't gotten the opportunity?
1: Well, there are things that are so much in my heart and in my mind that I have... Frequently shared, but that are really worth resharing, and I'm very passionate about. I mean, in, in the in the past in in the, in the past several minutes of you and me uh, discussing where we are with the urban innovation space, I have been stressing how we're in the middle of a design shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's two points to that design shift. One is we are living that design shift. We're going from a centralized way of being organized: central government, central inoculation programs, centralized time zones, centralized retirement schemes, things that we did not have before our previous old industrial revolutions. Centralized modes of production, Henry Ford. I mean, all of that it's centralized mm-hmm. to make way for dramatically networked distributed ways of organizing things and that gives us th- that that is a challenge but it also gives an opportunity to actually solve things that we cannot solve through the old centralized way of organizing things and i think the entire climate change challenge that we are facing is a pointing case mm-hmm. um we 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 will need to Rethink how we collaborate. To my earlier point on how government operates and how it can how it can team together, I'm a big fan of something that's still very experimental, but it's called the the DAO, the Distributed Autonomous Organization, which essentially takes on a very cooperative structure. It can be a legal entity, like in Europe, you would have the uh, 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 I think they typically use the French term for it, the uh, uh, um, coopérative innovatif uh, européen. Uh, of société, innovatief, euh, européenne. And, and the idea being that you have a commercial way of organizing a cooperative and, and actually organize yourself that way. But what a DAO does on top of that is that everything has been fully digitalized. You From the dashboarding the, 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 the tokenization of the different value that people bring within that environment. So now you can have like, let's say, a startup accelerator and uh, venture build program where you bring in investors, where you bring in startups, where you bring in expertise, and, Everyone is somewhere in that universe, and you can see exactly, highly transparently so, what value each and every one is bringing. Now, Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're starting to organize differently. The same for how we organize democracy, the new tools that we need to actually keep democracy alive because our old tools are simply not up to the job. Look at the pushback that we see. With regard to democratically elected governments, people are no longer trusting the institutes. People are pushing back. And we need to have different tools through which people can partner, involve themselves, share their points of view. And I think the only way to do that is just to do that dramatically networked and distributed and actually tokenize whatever we can tokenize, you know, dashboard stuff and to make, to have this go all the way. This is, I think, something that a lot of people will need to get used to. And it's not going to work from day one. But this is the shift that we're living. And it's, I'm sure that it's part of the toolbox of solutions and tools that we're going to need to fix our futures. Um, uh, so I, I, I think that's something I'm very passionate about. Another thing, and I'm really going to get very, very philosophical now, right up Wonderful. to the <laughs> point of, of it almost being spiritual. You know, have you once observed a large group of birds? up in the air like a thousand birds Mm -hmm. and the sun is almost setting and it's one of those beautiful summer evenings and you're observing this group of birds and they collectively decide to flip suddenly to the right or to the left and it's been scientifically proven that the time that is required for the bird to observe that the bird to their left is about to flip process the information in their own brain, and then to move that into, turn that into action. And flipping themselves cannot be attributed by actually going through that regular observing. It's in my brains now and I make that move. They would always be too slow. What typically those birds actually get into is kind of a biosphere consciousness or a group consciousness. They, they get to that level where they, where they operate. When I look at younger generations of people, that concern themselves with climate change, I observe biosphere consciousness. These people do not have to explain to each other that, they're, that we're in deep trouble, that we're really seriously in deep trouble. They seem to be completely aligned. They carry that sense of collective urgency you know, as a group, as a team. This is where we can and need to go to. All of us, we're young or old, we need to actually get into that mode of biosphere consciousness. What can you do about it? Well, first of all, let go of the most centralized ways of organizing yourself, get into more network patterns of getting organized. This is where I think the network paradigm, this massive shift we're having, is not just a technical thing. And it's not just an easy pattern of being organized, although it is an actual physical design. But it even comes down to how your brains are framed to collaborating to communicating right to the level where you could say this is becoming a spiritual thing and that's fascinating because imagine that because of the challenges that we face the sense of urgency that design shift that we're living we're getting to a point where we're actually better connected as a species that that would be an up for humanity so Rather than being dark about and gloomy about all the things, there are things that I'm seeing. Now, again, this is a very philosophical and spiritual type of comment or observation, but this is, this is what I hope is due for humanity. This is where I hope that some of our technologically driven designs and rethinks will get us to, that we're actually shaping up better as human beings, not as robots.
0: Wow, you just blew my mind, fast with, with that analogy and everything. I, I really, really love that. Uh, I wish I could talk to you for, for ages now about all of these topics really sincerely. But um, I think uh, we, we have to wrap up soon. But um, now we move on to one uh, of our fun segments. Um, and then I just have one more question and then we're, we're done, unfortunately. But um, are you ready to play a little game?
1: Uh depends on what game you had in mind. <laughs> but I'll, pro- I'll promise to be comfortable at being uncomfortable. Okay, good.
0: <laughs> it's very easy. Don't worry. Um, it is called Roll With The Punches. Roll With The Punches. Answer this or that questions quickly and with your first instincts. Okay. Okay. Sure. Um, and then at the end, you can explain your answers if you need. Okay. But we'll just go quickly all through right. it. Um, all right. Past or future? Future. Connected cities or resilient cities?
1: Resilient cities. Smart cities
0: or smart communities?
1: Smart communities.
0: Academia or government?
1: (laughs) Ah, I can't do that
0: one. (laughs) That's mean, right?
1: I'll probably go for academia.
0: (laughs) Okay. Living labs or innovation districts?
1: Innovation districts.
0: The Netherlands or Arizona?
1: (laughs) That's unfair. <laughs> I'll have to sign off of my home country because it's given me so much.
0: <laughs> I, 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 I try to throw in a few, um, a few kickers for you. Um, just, just special for you. Do you want to explain any of your answers?
1: Well, the, the, one, the ones that are really difficult. I mean, connected cities and, and, and resilient mm-hmm. cities, we need to be resilient. We need to learn how to be resilient amidst all of these changes that mm-hmm. we're dealing with. Connected is just being a tool. I mean, it's, 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 it could be a state. Of being which yeah. is again going back to the philosophical component but I prefer to say what's the outcome here we need to be resilient so that's one another that was tough is Arizona versus the <laughs> Netherlands and again Netherlands is my home country that's yeah. where I'm from but there's a piece of me that has fallen in love with Arizona so dramatically I love the landscape mm-hmm. uh, I love the beauty of what is called a desert I don't th- really quite think it's a desert because it's so alive it can be so alive in Arizona uh, but yeah. it's it's so beautiful but the other hand there is also a piece of darkness in my mind when i watch arizona because i see what mars was probably like <laughs> so many millions of years ago and it's such a dead planet right now yeah and and this is where we could end up being so that is always when i and i love hiking and when i'm out mm, hiking in arizona that's mm-hmm. that's also the dark point that comes up in my mind um uh, what else was there um, um
0: Academia or government? You had a hard time with that one. Yeah, so because, because, <laughs> because you need both. <laughs> I, I've been,
1: I've I've been really on this topic of urban innovation from almost any possible angle: startup, big tech, Cisco, uh, government, uh, and network organizations, think and act tanks, European projects. I've had them, I've seen it from all, and I I I don't belong in one of those brackets. I. Fundamentally believe that we can actually make our city smart and do the right thing for our communities by being interdisciplinary, not just as teams, but in our own beings and our own minds, we mm. need to be interdisciplinary in what mm. we do. So I, I wouldn't cast myself as an academia. I certainly wouldn't cast myself as government. I'm way too entrepreneurial for that. <laughs> and, and so it's, 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 it's really a mix
0: yeah yeah <laughs> i can see that in you for sure that's that i i knew that one would uh, would trip you up so that's why i threw it in there um good uh now is just the last question it's a question we ask every single guest that comes on and we've already touched on it so now i'm interested to see where you take this um it's the question of to you what is a smart city
1: um After 20 years, I'm ever less able to come up with a good answer to that. It gets harder. It's it's getting harder. And right to the point, as I already mentioned, that I really don't like the term for the reasons already mentioned. Uh, To me, a smart city is a city which um, leverages the best of their citizens, the creativity of their citizens, the best of all stakeholders, the best of technology, the best of new designs and old Mm -hmm. designs to arrive at a community or a city as a series of communities that is resilient, that is happy, Mm -hmm. and that is, you know, getting ready for the future and looks at the future with a sense of comfort and a sense of trust Mm -hmm. and confidence.
0: Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, I, I, we can debate the topic of smart cities. All I also prefer. I, I've noticed you've been using urban innovation, and I also personally use that a lot. That term as well, because, but um, I also want us The other reason why I don't like it is because of this. Um, the focus is shifting away from cities onto. Um, well, the focus is still on cities, but also expanding to focus on regions, smaller places. Um, in the UK, they like to say smart places. Um, what do you think? Is there a better term?
1: To me, it's just cities.
0: Just cities. Just Look,
1: let's say let's just say that in the year nineteen hundred, the city of Detroit would have kind of picked up its bragging rights for having so much electrified parts of towns and factories, you know, and have come up with a label for themselves, Detroit, electric city. That would have been so silly a (laughs) hundred years later. Let's dump the title. It's just about cities and do the right thing in the face of the incredible opportunities and challenges that we face. That's it.
0: Yeah, Uh, we'll we'll consider it. So we're trying to think of these things right now at Babel. Like how do we we really communicate about what we're doing, right? So it's great input. Um, Do you have any last words?
1: I do have last words. Uh, that is that uh, you're the first official channel to communicate that I'll be leaving the city of Rotterdam.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: <laughs> now I got you. Now, now you're Hopefully, me. <laughs> comfortable being uncomfortable. People
0: always do this to me. I've had, no, no, I, I've had multiple uh, podcast episodes where they, they told me either immediately after that they were leaving the role or, um, yeah, actually immediately after. I've never had someone do it in the podcast though. So that's a first. Um, so what's next? Are you, you, Keeping on the education side or, or what?
1: So first of all, I love the city of Rotterdam. It's given yeah. me an incredible opportunity and something that I always aspire to do. Mm-hmm. And to have served the city as its chief digital officer, I felt was an amazing, amazing opportunity. Yeah. And, and it will always be with me. I will also continue to do a lot of things with and for the city of Rotterdam. And I look forward to that future. Uh, I also think that there are particular uh, policies taken. Uh, which are not necessarily in line with what I believe and and as a CDO I need to be able to carry the full weight of what a sitting, uh, you know, incumbent uh, city government wants and how it takes further. But there is another po- component in Tamlin, that's what I want to do. Uh, I, I think I can be like using about 30% percent of my time, talent, and and and, and energy within local government in, in order to achieve what needs to be achieved, I think I can simply be more effective and in some other spaces. And it's a combination of all the things that I've done in the past 20 years. So I look forward to be building a distributed autonomous organization that's really gonna be specialized in urban innovation, that's going to co-invest, that is going to build startups, that's going to really take on challenges from the cities that we work with, get their problems and build businesses on top of that, to get into an advisory mode across the world also, but also to bring senior and young talent together and have a database, no, not a database, a community Mm -hmm. of talent intergenerational that we can actually put to work in the places where it's needed most. And it's going to be a lot more, but these are some of the highlights of what we're going to build. I'm doing it with a lot of partners and I'm excited about where this is going to go.
0: I'm excited too to hear hear about it in the future and hopefully be a part of some of the things that, that you're working on. So, all the best to you in all of your endeavors. I'm very excited for you on your next chapter. Thank uh, you. It's not really, yeah, I don't know if you call it closing a chapter or not, but in any case, um, it, it's been a super big pleasure to speak with you today. I, I I've rarely seen people so passionate. Um, I, I see a lot of passionate people, um, but not quite at the level as, of, of you, honestly. So it, it's been a huge, huge pleasure. So thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you, Tam. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope we'll be able to continue the conversation in multiple ways.
0: Yes, would love to continue it. So, and to all of our listeners, uh, don't forget you can always create a free account on babel-smartcities.eu to find out more about smart city projects, solutions, implementations, all these cool things happening. Um, and with that, thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you at the next stop on the journey to a better urban life.